I'd like to welcome our uh, guest preacher once again. Rocky Anthony was with us last Sunday, and uh, very much it was a blessing to me to hear him. Uh, I look forward uh, to uh, hearing this, my friend, uh, who's been a pastor to me as well. And uh, so, Rocky, come and open God's Word for us. Justin, thank you for that. It's nice to be back with you again. And for those of you who decided when you woke up to uh, weather the not-so-glorious weather, just thank you for being here. Turn to the person next to you and say, way to go for being here this morning. Yeah, you could have stayed in bed. Well, uh, it's good to be with you as we continue our Advent study. We're looking at the kind work of God as he uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways to accomplish his purposes. Uh, We saw last week, as we focused on Joseph, a man of pristine reputation, a righteous man who willingly laid all of that aside uh, to bind himself to uh, a pregnant woman, uh, to lay claim to what the world thought to be Uh, an illegitimate son, and to fulfill, to do all of this, to to fulfill uh, God's uh, work of redemption in order to redeem uh, this sin-stained, broken world. Take Mary as your wife. Name Jesus as your son. His yes uh, transformed his life forever. It reshaped history And though the New Testament, we saw, never recorded a word that Joseph uh, ever said anything, his example of faith, without the certainty of things yet seen, inspires us today. It informs our faith, uh, no matter what challenges that we may face. It's amazing uh, what God can do through A yes. We're going to see a different picture of this as we look at Mary's story today in the Gospel of Luke. But I want you to hold on to that for just a moment. I've always been one who enjoys reading quotes from famous or maybe not so famous people. uh, These words that are uh, meant to be defining, memorable, weighty. But maybe eventually it turn out to be not so defining, weighty, and memorable. Maybe words that these people wish they could have back. Got an example or two of those this morning. The concept is interesting and well-informed, but in order to earn at least a C in my class, they must be feasible. Words written by a Yale professor in response to Fred Smith's idea to begin an overnight delivery service called FedEx. Mm-hmm. We don't like the sound and guitar music is on their way out. Words written by a recording executive about a group called The Beatles back in 1962. Everything that can be invented has been invented. Charles Duell, Commissioner of U.S. Patents, 
back in 1899. <laughs> Can't jump or shoot, can dribble a little bit. High school back- basketball coach commenting on Michael Jordan. Yeah. Of course, we hear those words, we kind of snicker, don't we? And some of you did, because what? We know the rest of the story. We know how things turned out. We're amazed that people can be so short-sighted. We hear words of people who thought, well, that's impossible. But now we know it's not only possible, but it's something that we take for granted. And yeah, I begin there because as we look at Luke's gospel, we begin to see this same dynamic being lived out. It's a story of one who was asked to believe something that seemed impossible, something completely irrational. And yet, with God's help, Mary not only believed, but she obeyed. She believed what God told her to believe, and she did. She obeyed. She did what God told her to do. But the problem is, are you listening? We take all of that for granted. And when we do that, when we think about this act of bold obedience, if we just take it for granted, we fail to glean the treasures that are buried in this very familiar story. And we often just move through it with nostalgic appreciation, but not with wonder. We're not going to do that this morning. Why did God choose Mary? And what can we learn from this? How can we glean from this encounter more insight into what it means to be a person greatly used by God? Because, you see, I I believe that God is still looking for people to accomplish his work of restoration and healing in this world. Because last time I checked, I'm still here. And so are you. See, this, this matters. So what does this look like for Mary? And what does that look like for you? So before we turn to God's word, let's pray and ask for his help to prepare ourselves for the reading of his word, the hearing, and then the doing of his word. Father, we we place ourselves under your word. We thank you for its power, its purity, its authority. We confess that sometimes we are in a place where the sun is shining and sometimes we are in a place where we are in that bleak midwinter time. Wherever we are, help us to make room for your word in our lives this morning. Speak to us. Awaken our minds. Awaken our hearts. Uh, Awaken our wills, crowd out anything that would hamper us from hearing the truth of your word this morning. This is our prayer 
In Jesus' name, amen. We read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Hear the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a woman betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to walk through three insights in this encounter, an encounter that has a lot to say about the kind of person God can and wants to use. And here's the first one. To be a person who affirms the truth of God. Did you get that? To be a person who affirms the truth of God. Mary grew up with plans for her life. She had a dominant truth that guided her. A truth about herself. Who she was. What her future would be. What her story was. Who was she? A peasant. An uneducated impoverished little girl from a hick town called Nazareth. Even when Luke describes it, it's so small, he needs to say Nazareth. Oh yeah, so that's a city in Galilee. He has to connect it to a town they would know, Galilee, because no one would know about Nazareth. We do that today, you would say, to people who don't know this area. If you live in Germantown, or maybe you live in Cordova, or maybe you live in Carville. You know, I live in one of those cities. That's right outside of Memphis. We do that today. Same thing. Same thing. So Mary had her story. Today we would call that her, her narrative. She had a narrative. I'm just a peasant, an impoverished little girl, uneducated. I'm, I'm nobody, really. I'm, I'm not much. 
But then one day, an angel was sent from God to reshape her narrative. Mary, whatever plans you had for your future, Mary, whatever you see yourself as, as you look through the lens at your own life, it's about to be radically changed. It begins with a greeting. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29 tells us that, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Well, Mary may have been troubled. Mary was uneasy by this saying, this title, this greeting. But I tell you who wasn't awkward in delivering this title. I tell you who wasn't awkward in sending the title this way was Gabriel, certainly not God. Because what is being offered to Mary here, this title, O favored one, later in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't miss this. What God is doing here is just saying to Mary, Mary, I want to tell you the real truth about yourself. I know you. I have watched you. And I've come to visit with you with this news about yourself. You are the favored one. And this is what I want you to see this morning. Mary is not the favored one only because she's now carrying the Messiah. She's the favored one because this is who God is. And this is how God reveals his heart toward those he loves. To say it another way, this is how God has seen Mary all along. And now he speaks words of truth to her about her real identity, how he's always seen her. An uneducated, impoverished peasant girl from a little hick town from Nazareth, a nobody, oh no. You are favored. The Lord is with you. And this, Mary, is how I've seen you all along. Do you see it? One day God says to Gideon as he hides out and threshing wheat in a wine press, terrified that he will be seen. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let me tell you the truth about you. One day God says to Moses, a fugitive and a wanderer with a speech impediment, you are the deliverer. Let me tell you the truth about you. One day God says, Jesus says to Simon, the denier, the one who deserted him when Jesus needed him the most. Let me tell you the truth about you, Simon. You're the rock, and on your testimony, I will build my church. Let me tell you the truth. One day God said to a man named Saul, a terrorist, a murderer of Christians, I'm going to call you Paul. And I'm going to make you the, the apostle to the Gentiles and use you in ways that you cannot even imagine. That's the truth. 
See, Mary was troubled because the greeting, the title given to her, didn't fit her narrative of herself. Not the one she lived with. And so, see, the first thing we see in the story is often the same struggle we face in our own lives. Will I accept God's true declaration of me? Or will I continue to live with my own distorted narrative? G.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God is Right, he says the most important thought you think is the thought you think about when you think about God. And I would add, the second most important thought you think, stay with me, the second most important thought you think is what you think about what God thinks about when he thinks about you. Psalm 139 says, God's thoughts toward you outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. Apparently, God thinks about you a lot. So what do you think about what God thinks about when he thinks about you? Because he thinks about you a lot. That he sings over you with shouts of joy. That you are loved with a perfect love. That you are his delight. That you are worth the life of his son. That you belong to him. That you are cherished by him. See, I've said this for years. The evil one can never negate the atonement. The work of Christ applied to your life. He can't mess with that. Only thing he can do, are you listening? The only thing he can do is to make you feel unworthy of it. And with so many sincere Christ followers who come through my life, this more than anything else keeps them from the experience of the love of Jesus. The inability to affirm the truth of the gospel in their own lives. Not because they don't believe it, but because they feel unworthy of it. (laughs) Being unworthy, you know, is actually what qualifies you for the gospel. Being unable to rescue yourself is why Jesus came into this world, to rescue you. You understand. Mary, you are the highly favored one. Is it because she led a perfect exemplary life? No. Is it only because she's not carrying the Messiah? No. It's because the grace and kind mercy of God, who's generous, has now visited her To tell her the truth about who she's been all along. You want to be a person greatly used by God? Affirm the truth about God, yes. But affirm God's truth about you. What do you think about when God thinks about you? Beauty. Delight. Love. 
acceptance, joy. How about this? Favored one. Just receive that this morning. To be a person greatly used by God, secondly, is a person who surrenders to the plans of God. You know, when your life is turned upside down, general rule, you'd prefer more details rather than less details. <laughs> the angel Gabriel can discern that Mary is troubled, so he responds as we've grown to expect angels to respond. Do not be afraid. Verse 30. And then from verse 31 to 33, Gabriel gives Mary an explanation of what is about to happen. I've tried very hard to sit in Mary's car seat this week, wondering if this explanation would relieve her fear or actually aggravate more fear. This is what she hears, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, I'm struck by the lack of practical details in that. <laughs> Which explains why some of the very few comments Mary makes in this encounter, how she follows, follows up with a question about practical details, verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's important. Surrendering to God's plans always means accepting unknowns. Always means confronting deep-seated desires to try to control outcomes. And let me just be very clear about this. It's never control. It's always the illusion of control. Some of us really struggle with this. And in our fears, we try very hard to control people and places and things. To stay on top of everything. To manage everything and everyone. To manage God. How's that working for you these days? So what do you do with that? What does Mary do with that? Again, I try to sit in her seat listening to this announcement from Gabriel, from her perspective, processing in my mind all the shifts that she was making. These are not slow softballs coming to her where she's able to think and ponder and process. These are fastballs coming to Mary with little detail of how any of this is going to work out practically in her life. How does she respond? How? In a statement of defiant trust that has both blessed and activated the church for centuries, this young woman, heart-beating, Mind racing, verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. In essence, I am willing to do whatever you want me to do. 
But I, I cannot hold out to you a more beautiful picture of what I have called submitted availability than that. Nor can I highlight for you enough the cost that uh, awaiting her on the other side of this bold declaration. Not unlike Joseph, the first thing her yes cost her was her reputation. She was a virgin, and now she will be pregnant. She was engaged to this upstanding man, and he was a righteous man. He was a good man, Joseph. And now, at this point, she has no assurances of how he will respond. She has no idea of what her family will do, but she has a sense that she will be disowned. She knows that everybody in the community will rebuff her. She will lose her reputation. We remember that Jesus was 30 years old before he started doing miracles to validate who he was, that would validate who he said he was. Luke later records, chapter, uh, chapter 2, that Mary treasured up all these things and what? Hid them in her heart. Most scholars agree that Mary and Joseph did not share the true identity of Jesus to the world. They barely understood the implications of it. Who else would understand this story? And the point of this is they lived the whole of their uh, their lives being misunderstood, being shamed, and being ostracized, living as outcasts. Nazareth, as we've already said, is a small town. I won't ask for a hand raised, but some of you grew up in small towns. Here's what we know about small town life. Everyone and everybody knew everybody else's business. Small Town Life 101. So here's Mary. Walking around day after day, and she gets what we call the look. From people on the street. She's the rumor of the village. When people see her, see her, all they look at is her growing belly. And the script goes like this. Poor Mary. Poor Joseph. This is so sad. This is so embarrassing. Imagine all the hurtful comments, all the whispers, all the cutting remarks, all the stares. She gives up her reputation being misunderstood for years. This is not just a moment or two. This is her whole life. It cost her comfort. This young girl travels to Bethlehem as the fulfillment of prophecy. She's nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey. The pains of her contractions are starting to spike, getting closer together. They can't find a place to stay. Panic is surging through her body. Imagine the fear. No support, no mother, no family. They're alone. This is her firstborn. This is all new. Foreign city. First child. Now you're literally in a barn. And the baby is beginning to come into this world. You'd agree. Deliveries are hard enough today. I've been through 
through 4, sort of. All the technology, everything's sterile. None of that for Mary. Took a moment this week just sitting and kind of meditating on this verse. And uh, I wrote something in my journal. This is what I wrote. Who delivered Jesus? No midwife, no one with experience. The first human contact Jesus had in this world were the trembling hands of an inexperienced earthly teenager named Joseph. The first breath of air Jesus breathed was filled with the stench of cattle urine and damp hay. His first garment, he was wrapped in a collection of soiled cloths left on the floor of the stall, now tucked around him to keep him warm. The first sounds he heard were the low moans of restless cattle and the bleeding of sheep, not pleased at all by the unwanted commotion this family had now created. He who spoke all things into existence has now willingly taken on human flesh from highest heights to the most humble lows. Jesus has now come into our world. Mary, exhausted, terrified, relieved, grateful, now welcomes the infant king into her most unsettled world. Here's the thing. Surrendering to the plans of God, deciding to follow, to take God at his word, is costly. And like Mary, people don't always understand you. Things may become more difficult before they become beautiful. You don't know. I don't know. There's always a cost. But for Mary to be used greatly by God, it meant willing to let go. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. To trust. To be a person used by God means to affirm the truth of God. Yes, about God, but also about yourself. And to be a person who surrenders to the plans of God, even though God doesn't give you all the practical details, because you know what? Rarely does he. Because that's usually part of our growth in trusting him with a daily process of dependence and devotion as we seek to rely on him one day at a time. It's the last thing. To be a person used by God is to be a person who submits to the promises of God. I love this. Mary was a woman of deep faith. She didn't have all the answers, but I tell you one thing she did do. She was able to trust that God would be true to his promise. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible for God. Mary had every reason to worry. She's in carrying out this incredible responsibility. But instead of worry, what does Mary do? She turns to worship. We've already read it. Luke 1, 46. We have Mary's song of worship, the Magnificat. We hear in it the, the vision, the faith, the promise of God in those words. 
But every one of those promises that she claims is, is a promise that will become fulfilled when? In the future. Her generation certainly never called her blessed. But Mary is convinced that the promise made would be the promise fulfilled as she rested on the character and the goodness of God. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But you've may, you may have missed the other promise God made to her in our story. And it was this. Mary, Mary, what I'm really promising you is that I'm going to give you the totality of my being. The most high will overshadow you and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and Jesus, fully God and fully man, will be with you. Did you get that? Mary, don't be afraid. I'm going to give to you the full ministry of the Trinity. See, God doesn't leave us alone in our struggles. He doesn't abandon us to work things out on our own with our faith that is weak and timid. No, he says, I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to fight for you. Emmanuel, the with us God. Why does that matter? Because I think one of the great lies of the evil one, when we feel alone, when we faith, face our faith struggles, is that God is far off and he has abandoned us or our difficulties are too great in this cold, beat-up world. And that we're alone to face uncertainty apart from encouragement, apart from support. But God says to Mary, nothing could be further than the truth. The assurance of the promise, the assurance of God's presence, I am here. And this is more than, Mary, don't be afraid. This is Mary, move out into your world with courage and confidence a faith that allows you to live with mission and boldness and security. We don't really have time to unpack it. I wish we would, but I'd like you to think about it this afternoon. But I want you to notice in this verse that God gives Mary something else. God gives her Elizabeth, the gift of a relationship. Not only does God give her the full ministry of the, the Trinity. And not only does God give her the future promise, but God gives her relationship, one that she can trust and know and walk with, one who has her own story of a miraculously, divinely orchestrated birth story. Because I think when we go through difficulty, when we go through hard, there's nothing like the gift of a friend who can walk with us and understand the complexity of life. I think of so many different times and ways that God has done that for me. So as we close, I just, I just offer this to you. Where, where in your life right now do you sense that God is, is pushing you forward in a Mary-like response where you believe God is saying to you, like Mary said, I, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. 
and where you hear God whispering to you, nothing is impossible for God. Let's get real practical as we close. You know, this time of year, we see people that sometimes we see very, very infrequently. And we have a name for people like that. They're called relatives. <laughs> and maybe for you, there's a particular relative, a person that maybe comes through your life. And you know they're far from God. You've never had a conversation with this person about Jesus. And you might be tempted to say, Rocky, you don't know this particular relative. You don't know this person. Ah, uh, yeah, I do. I know. And maybe this is the year you need to say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And maybe you need to hear God say, nothing is impossible for me. Or maybe there's been an ongoing conflict in your family that you've been avoiding. And you need to, you need to be able to say to God, who's been nudging you, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. And you need to hear God say, nothing is impossible for me. Or maybe you need to be willing to give an extravagant gift of love, knowing that it won't be returned. And you need to hear God say, I know what that's like. Nothing's impossible for me. I don't know what that looks like for you. But to be a person who's greatly used by God is someone who's able to affirm what God says about them. Someone who's willing to surrender to God's plans, knowing that God will never give you all the details. Why? So that you'll trust him for the day. And someone who will cling to the promises of God when that's all you have. And as we do that, we will begin to be amazed, won't we? Of what God can do to a flawed, broken, timid, fear-filled, ordinary people just like us. To do extraordinary things to bring glory to this great Redeemer King that we love and serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, grace that sustains us. We thank you for your truth that awakens us. We thank you for your goodness that keeps us near to your heart. Help us to believe this good news, not just to hear it, but to believe it, to rest in it. Lord Jesus, in the season of Advent, we marvel at the gift of your entry into this world. You who knew no sin, yet out of love, left the glories of heaven to become sin for us. Awaken us that we might see you now, the exalted Son, that we would receive you, fall down, worship you with all that we are, uh, with all that we have, all that we hope to be. Prepare our hearts as we come and feast at your table, that you would nourish us and send us out into your world to proclaim your love and to live as your sons and daughters in this world. This is our prayer this morning. As your loved ones, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.